Hello, effing Shakespeare listeners. We are presenting at uh, Texas Book Fest 2018. Today, it's a beautiful Saturday morning, and despite many, many, many technical difficulties, we are here recording our effing Shakespeare podcast. I'm Fulu, and Pete Martin Williams is here, also manning our Bloomsday Literary booth with our distinguished poet, D.F. Brown. So, listeners, stay tuned for a great show with many authors coming to our booth, answering questions, playing author Jeopardy. Can you, I need your hotspot again. Two kinds of writers: those who read Amazon reviews, <laughs> and those who, and then you're supposed to fill in the blank. Um, th- those who try to maintain their sense of worth. <laughs> so I'm Amber Elby, and I am a huge Shakespeare fan. So when I saw your sign, I actually assumed it was effing awesome Shakespeare, <laughs> and I hope that's what it was. We are effing awesome Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. That's gonna be awkward the whole rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> We had this intimate moment, and now we have to... Now we have to be separated by Blue Curtain again, <laughs> once again. I'm Jessica Cole. I'm Fulu. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers, for writers. Yeah, we're, uh, we're here at Texas Book Festival in Austin on this uh, balmy day. Quite nice. We're here with Mark Pryor. He happens to be uh, an assistant district attorney here, and the author. My count was ten books. Is that right? Are there more? Mm, ten, and the next one coming out in January. Fantastic. Wow. Is it in the uh, in the Hollow Man series? Uh, no, it's in the Hugo Marston series. Oh, nice. So it's another one set in Paris. Fantastic. And have you written those linearly, or did you flip? Was Hollow Man series first, and then? Uh, no, I started with the Hugo series, yeah. and then um, that that character is such a nice guy. I wanted to write somebody mean and nasty, so I, <laughs> I invented Dominic, the psychopath. And then you got a little tired and went back to the nice guy. You know, it's fun. I can go back and forth. I I've got seven in the Hugo series and two two Dominic books, so yeah. I can just flip back and forth. So I just read uh, I just read the last Dominic book, and I'm wondering, or maybe I'm suggesting. Are we going to get an Elizabeth series? She's pretty cool. She's awesome. I don't know about a series, but um, Come on, man. I'm, I'm really tempted to to do a trilogy. And if I do that, if, so if I write one more book, I think Dominic has to get his comeuppance. Yo. And I think we know at whose hands that will be. Nice. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Really well, thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you. And I, I was uh, driving around Austin, sort of looking over the shoulder, looking over my shoulder, hoping not to run into the guy. Yeah, there's still time. The, <laughs> <laughs> the characters happen to stay with you, though, is my point. Good. Oh, good. Nice. <laughs> thank good. you. Thank you. All right. So we're just, uh, as you can hear, there's lots of noise in the background, and uh, we're just, you know, people watching here in Austin. We're going to play a little game of. Uh, Author Jeopardy. So, can you see those categories over there, Mark? I can. Can I? Can I make some excuses in advance? Of course. I was up with the police last night. Um, Likely story. <laughs> doing a ride along till. No, the, were you really? I was. Yeah, oh yeah. I did. I did a ride along with the cops. It's one of my favorite things to do in this job. Um, super interesting. Love meeting different cops or hanging out with old friends. So, 
Um, I always plan to be home by 11, 11.30. It never works out that way because there's always something happening. Dang. Yeah. That, w- uh, that was another question I was going to ask you. How do you manage to do all of the book writing that you're doing? And you're the father of three children. Three children, yeah. And a wife. How, how do you be husband, father, district attorney, and Well, bas- basically my family is neglected. <laughs> I have to reintroduce myself every time I come home. Um, this but, is your dad, <laughs> Yeah, kid. I wear a label, you know, one of those little stickers <laughs> like you have at meetings. Um, I just, you know, the truth is that I, I tell people that I just have never, I never ever have any spare time when I can sit around and be like, oh, what shall I do today? Every, pretty much every minute of my day is full. But honestly, I, I'm used to that now and I love it. And, and given how great my family is and how great my writing career is going, great my job is, I really just don't have any room for complaints either. How long were you in, in the, you know, wearing your attorney hat? before the book writing started and uh, was your wife like what are you gonna do now really and <laughs> she's always very supportive although i you know it took me a while to get published I, I wrote three novels before the bookseller got picked up um and i, I had hundreds and hundreds of rejections sure. over that time uh-huh. and she would get a bit like what the heck are you doing <laughs> wait why do you keep doing this um so uh yeah no she, it was about five or six years I had a job in Dallas, which I didn't much care for as a, as a lawyer. Okay. Uh, and then I just thought, well, let me try something that's actually interesting. Right on. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so uh, our categories went dead, but Mark's going to ask, uh, Mark's going to choose a category, and then we're going to get down to brass tacks here. I saw one of them was writing advice, so I think I'm going to go with that one. Writing advice. Yeah. All right, let's, let's see uh, the, the $200 clue. Book that gives the best writing advice for new writers. Oh gosh, um, I think it's for, I would choose "On Writing" by Stephen King, which isn't a very original choice, but it's uh, it's a great choice because it's very inspirational as well as having some practical writing tips. Yeah, absolutely. That's now, almost a classic now. Yeah, which is why it's not a very original choice. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is. It is. I think it should be on every every new writer's stack. It should yeah. be on writing. All right, another category. Oh yeah. Um, um, it's like it's Jeopardy, but without the contestants. So you just always get to pick the category. <laughs> right. You're always the winner. And it sounds like there are no wrong answers either. Which is, <laughs> let me try two kinds of people. Okay. There are two kinds of writers: those who read Amazon reviews, <laughs> and those who. And then you're supposed to fill in the blank. Um, th- those who try to maintain their sense of worth. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the Goodreads ones can be slightly meaner sometimes. I found that as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I think it's because the people who go to Goodreads are, are more, I mean, they're, they're more into the reading thing, which is why they joined the site in the first place. Sure. So they feel like they're entitled to to be uh, a little bigger, more open and honest. Bigger bastards, um, I yeah. think. My, my latest Amazon review, I did see it. Uh, it was, I got five, five stars, um, but it apparently it was because the uh, package arrived uh, untainted and <laughs> the contents were as promised. <laughs> so that's a, that's a really high bar. Yeah, and, well, you know what? I, I think if Amazon can deliver all my packages well, I'll be getting good reviews. <laughs> all right. Uh, you want to you want to try a couple more? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go crazy and go potpourri. All right. All right. This is a good one. Uh, this or these celebrities would play the protagonist in the film adaptation of your recent novel. Um, or you could pick a you could pick the the Hugo Marston series. I'm going to pick like. Hugo. Yeah. Okay. I'm, uh, so I'm going with Bailey Chase. 
Are you going to kick me if I don't know who Bailey yeah, Cates is? Yeah, I am. So he, he, uh, he was one of the um, actors in the Longmire series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played Branch oh, Connolly. Yes. Okay. And he was in Buffy. He's been... Uh, I've he's watched the, the Longmire series. Oh, do you like it? Very good. Oh, it's Very fantastic. Good Western, yeah. Western style series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, set up in Wyoming, modern times. But he See, played this is the part where Eric Williams, which is my husband, yells at me and says, you should have watched Longmire with me. Then you wouldn't have looked like a dumbass on your own show. <laughs> yeah, a little bit late for that, though. <laughs> a little late. Um, a little so, late. And, and in fact, I'll tell you a secret, but don't tell anybody else. Nobody. Nobody needs to know this. Um, I'm actually talking with him Shit. right now. Um, when does this go out, by the way? In like three years? Three years. Three years, okay. Because I don't want to spoil anything. February um, 2024. Yeah, he's reading the books right now, and he, he, he likes them, and he, he would be perfect. He has this, uh, well, he's actually quite handsome, I will tell you. <laughs> he's dashing. He is quite handsome, he's in a dashing. rugged, but he has this quiet intensity uh-huh. that I imagine Hugo has. Uh-huh. I think he would be fantastic, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but I wonder... Uh, and maybe I could edit this out, but I wonder why he uh, had this role, this small role in this quite awful shark movie that just came out. Oh, he did? Yes. Well, it wasn't uh, Shark Mega, was it? Yes. Oh, Mega? Yeah. I'll have a word with him about that. Yes, yeah. please. We've need. We we've got a certain brand we're working on here. Yes, exactly. Uh, I know he has to exactly. feed his kids. Um <laughs> But he told me the other day he'd been golfing, so he can't be doing that badly. Right, right. You know what would be funny? Talk about editing out. If you edited out his name, so anybody listening would be like, who are they talking about? <laughs> I'll just put a beep over it. Yeah, just, yeah. Have Blondie come in and bark right then. Yes. All right, one more. One more. Oh, gosh. Um, unnecessary pairings? Okay. He's a brave one. I know. I've, that makes me think of wine. Yes. Well, that's kind of kind of what we're going for here. Um, this book pairs marvelously with my general feeling of malaise and misanthropy. Misanthropy? Misanthropy. I've only ever said mis- misanthropic. Shit. Okay, and it's called again. Okay, oh, wait. Are we starting. allowed to swear? It's called effing Shakespeare. Okay. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me. Okay. Let me start that over. This book goes best with a general feeling of malaise and misanthropy. Did I say it wrong? Misanthropy. <laughs> that sounds a charm. Okay. This book goes best with the general, with my general feeling of malaise and misanthropy and a tall glass of self-loathing. So you're um, feeling really shitty. What do you like read to make it worse? To make it worse. Oh, wow. Or watch. Um, um, I th- you know, I, I watched Justified last night when I got in from the cops, which is another reason I was up so late. Um, and that guy just goes around shooting people. That, that would make me feel better, though. It would make you feel yeah, better? Yeah, like okay. if I could just shoot some people. Um, so, yeah, the show Justified. How about that? All right, that's good. Although the book that comes to mind is Catch-22. Um, oh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, so... That won't make you feel better. No, it? no, yeah. it won't. It yeah. won't. But it, it will make me realize that other people are screwed in life. Too, more than I am. That's true. All right, so where uh, where can people find you at the book fest? I'm not at the book fest. You're not here. This is my sole appearance. Well, thanks for oh, coming. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I parked and walked all the way from my garage, 100 yards away, just for you guys. Well, that makes me feel great. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark Fryer. Thanks you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.
All right, our next contestant on the show today at the Texas Book Festival is Laura Elvebeck. Uh, she's a mystery writer. Where do you live, Laura? I live in Houston, oh, Texas. Oh, just like us. <laughs> just like us. And uh, just tell us a little bit about your style of writing. I write mysteries, uh, more hard-boiled, actually. Uh, the first three books were the series, Nikki Alexander, Less Dead, Lost Witness, and A Matter of Revenge. And it takes, it's about, Nikki is an ex-cop turned counselor for a teen shelter. So like Less Dead is about a, abandonment, uh, Lost Witness is the drug trade, and uh, A Matter of Revenge is about pedophiles. Oh, wow. And then I have a standalone called The Flawed Dance, which is about my years running from the mob and being a go-go dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Dylan says, uh, d our friend uh, Dylan said that you are a prolific writer, sometimes turning out two or three a year. Is that true? Where, how, do, how do you manage that? Well, I, I write as often as I can. Uh, I'm retired, except that I... I had been a legal secretary for oh, okay. about 25 years, working for oil and gas presidents, and, and uh, my part-time job is working as a cashier at PetSmart. Oh, fun! <laughs> How fun! And you're also uh, a treasurer at the Mystery Writers. Yes. The Southwest Chapters of the Mystery Writers of America. Y yes, ex-chapter president, and uh, I do the newsletter. Uh, as well as being treasurer. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so we're going to start uh, playing a little Author Jeopardy. Are you cool with that? Oh, I'm cool, yes. Okay, so uh, <laughs> you are the only contestant. You just have to pick a category and uh, we'll give you a, we'll ask you a question. We'll give you a clue. Okay. Um, books what, for what ails you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the book that you f that you bring to your friend who has broken her leg and needs a pick-me-up. What book would that be for you? That needs a pick-me-up. Um, I would say... Um, well, since I just read mysteries, um, I love the Reed Farrell Coleman books. Um, he's writing now uh, the Jesse Stone series from okay. Robert uh, Parker. Okay. You want to pick another category? Um, writing advice? What's the best writing advice book for mystery writers that you recommend? But in chair. <laughs> oh, good. That's the old Roald Dahl, Dahl quote, right? Isn't that attributed to Roald Dahl? <laughs> yes. That's I good. stole it, yes. But so true. You have to not wait for inspiration. You just need to write every day if you can. And, yeah, and, um, sit in the chair and do it. Yes. And the if you're passionate about your subject, and I always have to be passionate about what I'm writing, it's always... I don't write for causes, but I do write what I believe mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and try to 
cure ails. <laughs> yes. All right, any of those other categories appeal to you? Um, what about two kinds of people? All right. There are two kinds of people. People who re read the back page of the book before reading it and and then you fill in the blank. And reading it all the way through. I <laughs> Yeah. I get tempted sometimes to read the back page, but I never do. No. It would just spoil it. This, just, those people are monsters, I believe. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to know what happens at the end. You're right. I want that twist, you know, that surprise. Especially being a mystery writer. Right? <laughs> Especially being a mystery writer, absolutely. Okay, this last category is for all the money, all the fake money that we have in the studio. <laughs> Anything, any other categories? Um, yeah. Potpourri. All right. What do you believe is the best Harry Potter book in the series? I'm sorry to say I have not. Oh. read Harry <laughs> Potter but I absolutely love Robert uh, Dolphin how do you pronounce his uh, his book on Cameron Strike oh I don't know that one oh it's it's so good I'm reading right now uh, Lethal White okay Robert Galtrick okay and that's the cinnamon for J.K. Rawlings oh it's her, it's her pen name for, is it a mystery series? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. We'll have to check that out. Laura, where can people find your books if they're interested in uh, finding out more about you and what you write? Oh, Amazon, um, barnesandnoble.com. My publisher is Black Opal Books, and you can order it from them. Great. And, uh, Murder by the Book in Houston. Great, great independent bookstore we know and love well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we just snagged Amber off the streets of the Texas Book Festival, the sidewalk, the pathway. And, uh, and you were telling us about your book. Can you tell us, tell the good people of Effing Shakespeare what a Cauldron's Bubble is all about? Hi, everyone. So I'm Amber Elby, and I am a huge Shakespeare fan. So when I saw your sign, I actually assumed it was Effing Awesome Shakespeare, and I hope that's what it was. We are Effing Awesome Shakespeare. Okay, good. It's not Effing in the negative sense. No, no. <laughs> So I wrote uh, two books. The first one's called Cauldron's Bubble, and they're the first two parts of a trilogy. The second one just came out earlier this month. It's called Double Double Toil. And oh, they're, they're both Shakespeare-based fantasy. I like to call them um, Shakespearean fan fiction for young adults. I was going to say, sounds like fan fiction. It is. That's so fun. And um, they're not just for young adults. A lot of the people who read them are 35-plus, um, and they're actually Shakespearean actors and fans of the plays. Um, my books follow two original characters named Drang and Alda as they go through fantasy worlds of Shakespeare's plays. So Macbeth, The Tempest, Hamlet, Midsummer Night's Dream. 
And Shakespeare himself is not a character in my books, but his characters are. But they don't do the same things they do in the plays. They do different things. They interact with each other. They do things off stage. So it makes it surprising, even if you know the plays. And then it helps take younger readers who maybe aren't so excited to read Macbeth in school. It gets them a little bit more anxious to hopefully uh, study it in a more formal setting. Yeah, yeah. I have a copy I can't wait to share with my 11-year-old. Have you read uh, or do you know of Lamb Shakespeare? Yes, and this, you know, that's going way back there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I actually, I, I uh, studied screenwriting at the University of Texas, and while I was there, I was oh, also wow. studying uh, Victorian literature at the Ransom Center. So I came to discover Shakespeare through the 19th century authors. So um, oh, I, I came up to Shakespeare as an author in a roundabout way. And uh, yeah, I really love what Lamb did. He's not so popular with, uh, well, I should say they, the Lambs. Um, not yeah, so popular with right. the young folks now, but they should be. Yeah. <laughs> but I just gave uh, Soul, uh, Kate's daughter, uh, Lamb Shakespeare. For her birthday. Oh, nice. So we're spreading the gospel of Shakespeare. <laughs> one kid at a time. And now we have more reason to do with Cauldron's Bubble. Thanks for uh, letting us know what it's all about. Exactly. You know, to talk about it. Thank you. Um, so here's our little game board. Do you like any of those categories? They appeal to you? Oh, can I go for writing advice? Because I feel like I might have some weird advice. Ooh, let's hear it. Okay. Um, let me get a good clue. Oh, uh, should I tell you a dollar amount? Because they're dollar amounts. Maybe we oh, should... sure. Yeah. We'll start it. with 200. 200. Okay, the best writing advice you ever got and the person who said it. Uh, my favorite writing advice came from a professor at UT named Stuart Kelvin, and he had a lot of really good advice. But one of my favorites is uh, to only hit the nail once. And he would expand on this, and he'd say that an apprentice would have to hit a nail a whole lot to drive it into a board. But someone who's a master carpenter, they could hit the nail once, and it would go all the way through. So that's what writers want to do. We don't want to say over and over again the same thing. We need to trust our audience and get them to continue uh, bashing the hell out of the board, right? Yes. That's so good. Very good. All right, another category? Um, how about um, how about potpourri for 200? All right, this pulpy novel you will defend until your dying day. Oh, geez. Um, that's a tough one because there's kind of a lot. Uh, I'm going to actually go for some more obscure stuff, and I don't know how pulpy this is, but it's one that was pretty controversial at the time. And that's The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. Okay. And I find myself defending this a lot. It has a not-so-great reputation. It was banned. It was bashed. And it really is a great novel. At the time, it was very scandalous when it came out around 1850. Um, and I think it's one that everyone should read because it can teach modern authors a lot about plot structure and characterization and how to change uh, perspectives within a book. So there's a lot we can say. Oh, that's that. great. Amber, we have, a lot of, we have a lot of authors on the show, and we haven't gotten that recommendation. Oh, so we can't wait to share that with our listeners. Thanks so much. All right, anything else appeal to you up there? Can I try overlook texts and personal faves, please? Yes. This is the book, um, well, that kind of follows on your last. Oh, Let me see. I hold just on, used up on, an answer. No, 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 let's see. Okay, here's a good one. Book that you will be crushed to find out your kid doesn't really like. Oh, I've already gotten this a oh, bunch. No. Not well with my own books too. My seven year old just refuses to read them and she's seven. <laughs> so that's 
I'm hoping she'll grow into it. You're right. But um, I recently was trying to get my 10-year-old into the Golden Compass, and she was not interested. Not interested. And I, I was like, well, we'll do the audio book. And she thought it was okay, but... I don't, there was something about it that didn't appeal to her, and I was pretty upset, but I'm still hoping she'll grow into it. All right. Fingers crossed. Yeah, you, you have time. That's yeah. the great thing about kids. They come around sometimes. Hopefully. <laughs> um, what's next for you? So you have the two books, and what's, uh, what's on the horizon? So my third book's coming out next August. It's called Trouble Fires Burn, and it's going to wrap up this trilogy and then after that, I'm going to have a spin-off book that is uh, based on my version of Caliban, which is different than Shakespeare's, nice. but it's called Caliban and the Void. And Caliban has kind of a history that intertwines him with the other plays in, okay. in my imagination. So he's <laughs> going to be jumping around uh, through Hamlet's and some other, some other plays where you don't expect to see him. This is a great concept. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. And where can, uh, where can people who are interested in finding your work find, find it? So I have signed copies at Book People in Austin, Texas. A great independent bookstore. Yes. Shout out to you guys. And we love Book People. They have the best events, especially for young people. If you're in town, go there. They have indoor petting zoos. But um, <laughs> if you're not in Austin or if you're not visiting here in the near future, then Amazon's a good place. I'm on Book Depository. Most online sites, Barnes & Noble, uh, you can get my books. Um, but you can find links to all these places on my website, which is amberlbelby.com. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Amber. Thank you for having me and, and thank you for being you. here. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this is the nice Dylan Powell. Maybe the other guy was nice. He just had a seamy Maybe underbelly. Maybe he's just misunderstood. Maybe he's just tragically misunderstood. Dylan Powell is a, uh, a mystery writer and various other kinds of writer out of, uh, out of good old H-Town, Tejas. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about Untimely Demise? Sure. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Untimely Demise is a collection of murderous methods that have been used over the years, from killing somebody with a toilet to uh, different types of poisons. Uh, the whole book is, uh, and not a, not a how-to guide, I, I might add, <laughs> uh, the whole book is various uh, methods of murder that have been used over the years. Uh, how, how do it's, you it's uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Important distinction. <laughs> Very much. And actually, it's funny. I've, I, I got the idea from. I write a lot of short mystery fiction, mm -hmm. and I got the idea from writing down a list of ways that I've killed off characters. Uh, I needed a new, <laughs> a new and interesting way, and then pretty soon I had this list of of. Uh, killer methods and I thought hey you know this this is kind of an interesting list this is genius maybe this would be some kind of book so I brought the idea to Cider Mill Press and uh, they hooked me up with uh, Alex Camaris who is an illustrator out of Rhode Island School of Design yeah He's you guys go check out the book because the illustrations are fantastic as well really yeah pretty. it'd be creepy if it didn't look so fun and and lighthearted you know <laughs> yeah right so you got to tell me, there's got to be a couple that you kept in your back pocket for uh, for the next mystery, so no one could steal it. Is that true, or did you just like you're you just super generous and dump them all in there? I, I think what I learned is there there's always a way for unbalanced people to hurt somebody, <laughs> <laughs> and it's scary. Oh. <laughs> uh, but it was it was really fun to uh, to to research, and um, you know I, I've got two primary. Uh, I wrote it just because uh, true crime is very popular. A lot of people were, were, were kind of interested in, in, um, in true crime these days. Sure. But um, I found I've had two two main buyers uh, primarily, which surprised me. One is law enforcement. 
which apparently they deal with some of that stuff. Are and they fact checking or? <laughs> I hope not. Because <laughs> I'm just some guy. <laughs> and the other big buyers, mystery writers, who are looking for ways to kill off characters. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little handbook. For sure. Fantastic. Well, uh, you willing to play our little game, our crazy ass game? Well, what's your game all about? Sure. Yeah, we've got uh, Author Jeopardy. There's several categories there. Author Jeopardy. You're the only contestant, so you could either win real big or lose real bad. <laughs> it's up to you, Dylan. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Your fate is up to I'm you. A gambling man at heart. Who else would become a writer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like any of those categories, man? Let's go for writing advice. Okay. For 200, Alex. <laughs> Best writing advice that doubles as life advice. Take your time. Oh, that's good. You know, I think any any piece of any creative work is a reflection of not just the concept, but the energy you put into the execution. Uh, talent alone is not enough. Just in the way that um, you can rush through a piece of creative work, and the end is maybe not what it could be if you didn't take your time with it. Uh, life's a lot the same way. You know, if you just rush through things, uh, you may not make it what it could be. You know, everything's what we put into it. Well said. Well said. Uh, anything, any of those other ones catch your fancy? Hmm, let's see. Two kinds of people. That sounds good. I kind of knew you were going to pick this one. <laughs> All right. There are two kinds of writers. Writers from Texas and writers... Oh, that's funny. I'm it's, sorry. It's, fill in the blank. You oh. got to... Jeez. <laughs> you were yeah, out of luck. Ah, oh, nice. You were out of luck. Writers from awesome. Texas or writers of small stories? Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Only big stories in Texas. That's right. right. We go big. All right. Next category, sir. Hmm. Overlook text and personal faves. All right. Overlook text you love to recommend and or teach. And or teach. What do you recommend? If you had a class full of young, impressionable students. You'd be like, this is the book you haven't been told to read, but you got to read it. Gosh, that's a tough one. You know, um, so I read a lot of short fiction because I write short fiction. Mm -hmm. And I might um, take the body of work of a gentleman by the name of Michael Bracken. Have you heard of him? No, Bracken? Bracken. This guy is such a prolific writer of short stories. He's actually, he lives near Waco. Uh, another fellow Texan, and actually, he just had a story in the best best American Mysteries 2008. Oh wow! And um, which I've got a story in there also. Oh, fantastic! Um, just came out uh, from uh, just recently. And um, when you look into his, his story in that book, is called Smoked, and it's just excellent. He has the short story, the short story genre just down. Nice. And he has written a, a thousand of them. If he's written one, it's uh -huh. crazy. I think he was in a role for a while where he had a short story. Not that he had written, but that is coming out and being published every month for something like 13 years and change. It is insane. It's like putting together 13 wins when you're the Astros, <laughs> like every month. That's a great record. Exactly, exactly. All right, last category, bud. Oh, last category. Unnecessary pairings. All right, this beverage goes best with a bagel and the summer fiction addiction, summer fiction edition of The New Yorker. Ooh. Man, Can what are we supposed to drink when we're reading that? I'm thinking a chai latte. Oh, that's good. Solid, solid choice. <laughs> so, Dylan, where can people find your um, your? No, before I ask you that, I want to know what you're working on now. 
Oh, I'm just finishing up a novel, actually. Oh, really? Yep. It's sort of a humorous uh, affair. It's a it's a mystery. It's a it's an amateur sleuth novel. It takes place in Corpus Christi, Texas, in the '80s. Nice. And um, we we're just over there arguing about the title, so it's it's to be titled. Oh, to be titled. <laughs> What's the protagonist like? Your amateur sleuth lives on a houseboat, uh, ex-cop with a pet monkey. And nice. The, the whole thing is just ridiculous. What's the monkey's name? Ringo. Because he loves onion rings. <laughs> oh. By the awesome. way, in real life, you shouldn't feed a, 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 a monkey onion rings. No. Don't anyway, at me, not, PETA. Don't at me. But it's, a, it's actually not based a good on diet. A, I've written a, a number of short stories in, uh, that have appeared in places like Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine that, that take place with the same set of characters. And I've got a lot of positive feedbacks for it, so I went ahead and wrote a novel. You just throw it all in there. Yep. 300 pages, bam. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure. All right, Dylan Powell, where do we find these uh, these mini works? Well, you know, all over at your, you know, I like to support my local independent bookseller, so wherever you buy your books, including those places. But We're also, looking at you, Houstonians, Brazos Bookstore, Murder by the Book. Exactly, all those places, River Oaks, um, at Blue Willow. Absolutely, Hello, absolutely. All those, and um, also you can find me online at texasmischief.com or houstonwriter.com or, uh, or my blog, which is uh, lonestarlineup.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Enjoy the rest me, of the festival. That was a fun game. We're, uh, we're here with Catherine Lane. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being willing to come out. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you write? Yes, I'll be happy to. I'm Catherine Lane, and I write mystery thrillers. I was born in uh, Mexico and grew up in Mexico, and Spanish was my native language. Well, it actually still is. So that figures very heavily into my writing. I um, have also traveled a lot, and that figures into my writing. Oh, fantastic. What are, you, uh, what are you currently working on? Currently, I'm um, doing my third Nikki Garcia thriller, okay. which is obviously a mystery thriller, and it takes place in Barcelona, Spain. Oh, nice which gives me the opportunity to go over and see relatives and friends in that city because I have to go over and check the location out you, very carefully. Of course, yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Um, okay, so we've got a little author Jeopardy game here. If you want to pick a category, we can, uh, we can ask you a couple questions. Okay. Well, why don't we start with writing advice? It's a favorite. It would be with authors, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> All right. What is the best writing advice you've gotten from a book? And what book was it? You mean someone else's book? Yeah. yeah. Um, Day of the Jackal. Um, I thought that was just an amazing, amazing book. And, of course, it's a very old book now, uh, Frederick Forsyth. Mm -hmm. I read it uh, so many years ago, and I was blown away with just the mystery aspect of it. It was so fabulous. And even now, I will look back to that book, and I will look back to that author to just, if I get into a little area where I don't know just how to handle something, oh, yeah. I will go back to his books. He, to me, is fabulous. But of course, there's so many good writers. Um, obviously, um, the Sherlock Holmes mysteries are oh, great. Right. Yeah. If you're a mystery writer, even Agatha Christie. Oh, yeah. Yes, she's dated, so is Sherlock Holmes. But they still have everything that you want in a good mystery, which is the ability 
to follow every step of the story and try to figure out who the culprit is. Right, right. We talk a lot on the show about uh, when, you, when you're writing a story and you come up on that brick wall, you get stuck. And so it's good to know what, what books we turn to to help us sort of navigate those waters. And those are those books for you then. Yes. Great. You want to pick another category? Sure. Uh, how about we do um, two kinds of people? All right. This is a fill in the blank. There are two kinds of writers. Those who read Amazon reviews and writers who... Don't. Yeah. <laughs> Very simple. No. And which one and are you? I do write Amazon reviews. I'm very careful about the authors that I write and um, uh, that I write a review for because I want to make sure that I'm at arm's length. I don't really do it for friends sure. because I think that uh, there's nothing objective about that. Uh, but I, if I read a book that I really like, I will write uh, a review and usually it's authors that I don't know. Right. And then how about your own reviews? Do you read those? Oh, you have to read them. <laughs> <laughs> and if you uh, like the review, of course, you just feel on cloud nine. And if you don't like it, you feel depressed for two days. And then you say, oh, well, you know, move on. <laughs> yeah, I got to write the next thing. Yeah, can't stay there too long. All right, another category? Uh, let's see. Uh, Papri. Let's see what's All in right. there. What's the word you find you overuse? in your writing? I have really concentrated on getting that T-H-A-T out of my writing as much as possible. And I am amazed. I am reading currently an author from Austin, an author that was in fact here at the book festival a little earlier today. And he's excellent and I love his books, but he has too many bats in there. And it grates on you. Yeah, and yeah. so that, yeah, it grates on me. Oh man. That's good, though. We need to be aware of what you know where our tendencies lie, lie and try to uh, get better as we go. Yeah, yes, good. absolutely. All right. Are you are you down for one more? Absolutely. Okay. Let's see. Well, do I need to pick another one, or can I double up on the uh, writing advice? Sure. Sure. This one's a good one. What uh, advice? Have you received that's been the best advice about the business side of book writing? Oh, now that is really a tough one, but it's a very good, um, a very good issue because it is such a competitive business these days. Yeah, and there are so many writers. Um, the best advice, and it's going to sound so simple, but it's write what really uh, you feel passionate about. Because if you feel passionate about something, if you don't know enough about it, you're still going to do a lot of research and you're going to learn more about that issue. And then you're going to be able to um, work out all the little kinks that happen, especially when it comes to mystery writers like I am. Um, if we do the research and we look back to other authors, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we can work those things out. But also, just recently, mm -hmm. I was told by an author that's quite famous, Jeffrey Deaver, and he's a mystery writer, that if you use a corkboard and write up all your main uh, plot points on cards, and then you put a push pin in, 
and you can see everything. So you have the beginning of the book and you have uh, the different things that happen and then the middle and then the ending. Right. And that advice I'm starting to use and I'm finding it amazing, especially for the middle of the book, which everyone has problems with. We all can think of the beginning. Uh -huh. We can all think of the ending. It's that uh -huh. middle portion that's difficult to write. It's right. the meat. It's the meat of the Big Mac. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, Catherine, if people are interested in finding more of your work, where, where can we send them? I have two publishers. They are both small publishers, so they don't take returns from uh, uh, bookstores. So I'm only online. Um, Shout out to the small presses, by the way. We love our small presses. Oh, yes. Well, small presses are wonderful. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my presses is uh, Alamo Bay Press uh, right here from Austin. And the other one is Pennell Publishing from um, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Oh, yeah. And uh, all of my work can be found at Amazon.com. They can be found on Barnes & Noble and uh, Smashwords. Um, iBooks, all of those places are online. Okay, great. So, um, and then the publishers themselves, obviously. Well, Catherine Lane, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, we've got uh, George Vance McGee on the show today. He, he's going to uh, tell us about a couple of books he's had out and a new one in the works. Can you uh, tell the listeners about yourself and what you write? Yeah, sure, guys. Uh, hello and well wishes. My name is George Vance McGee. I'm uh, an independent self-published author uh, uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, both my books have been self-published through uh, Lulu for the most part, and, and I've been happy with them. Uh, the first book is uh, Open Mindful, Philosophy on the Fly. Uh, which is an open-minded philosophy genre book. Uh, and the second I self-published just last year is uh, titled Attractive Tales from Grand Cities, A Social Memoir. Uh, and that's also available online and at uh, the wonderful book people uh, in downtown Austin on 6th and Lamar. So, Yay, uh, book people. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of them. Heck yeah. Uh, tell us just a little bit about the self-publishing journey. We, we talk to all kinds of writers on the show, and uh, we've got some traditionally published folks and some self-published folks and uh, some of the kind of hybrid hybrid in between. So tell us about that journey. Maybe just pick one of the books and tell us what it was like. Well, um, I am uh, pretty much a, a blogger author. Okay. So uh, my books start off as, as blogs, and um, they're really kind of short, you know, three to five page uh, genre topics um, that I write and, and blog about over a period of two or three years and then um, convert um, that blogging and, and different topics and content um, into a book. So uh, it's a little more in step for maybe, uh, uh, you know, the short attention span reader or, uh, you know, kind of the, the quick put it down and, and on the go type. Mm -hmm. um, so it moves topics quite fast. So in that essence, that's the, the creative method I use is, is the blog to book conversion. And then how'd you find Lulu? Lulu um, was recommended, uh, I think, at Texas uh, Book Festival. Um, some I other indie uh, authors mentioned that. Um, today I've actually heard about Ingram Spark. Um, I have sure. not heard of that, but yeah. I, I'll research them. And then I've, I've done Create Space as well. Um, but in general... Um, I support all, all independent authors and, and, uh, and creatives alike. And you found some good community for that here in, here in Austin? Oh, yeah. I mean, Austin is, is one of the most uh, vibrant, unique, and, 
and uh, local uh, type type cities in the country. So if there ever was a place to do it, man, it'd be here. I mean, yeah. I think we got a coffee shop on every block in the city. So uh, strangely see, enough, yeah. we yeah. had such trouble finding coffee this morning yeah. because, because of, of the, the water. water. Uh, <laughs> but we did manage. Well, we the, managed. the lucky dog helped us out. Well, the weather is perfect today here at the festival by the Capitol. So hopefully we can we can make up for it there. <laughs> That's absolutely yes. true. Yeah. All right, well, are uh, you willing to play our game? All right, let's give it a run. You like any of those categories? Any of those look good to you? We, I don't think we've announced, but these are the categories. Books for what ails ya. Unnecessary pairings, which is a beverage-related category. Hmm, Two kinds that. of people, which is fill in the blank. Overlooked texts and personal faves. No Eight. one has picked that yet. Uh, okay. Yeah, maybe just once. Okay. And people are scared of books for what ails you for some reason, but that's, that's okay. nothing to be afraid of. I'll go with the overlooked text and personal face, and let's, right. let's, let's crack, the, crack the champagne on that one. All right. This is your old friend book, the one you return to year after year. Either uh, The Catcher in the Rye or uh, anything by Tucker Max. I know he's... he's yeah, those are those are my guilty guilty books. There you go. Another category. Uh, we'll go two kinds of people. Okay. There are two kinds of people: the ones who enjoy John Grisham, and the ones, and then you're supposed to fill in the blank. And. Um, the ones who go off the, the beaten path in mainstream and um, think for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the ones who, that's appropriate, uh, maybe a lead into your your critic, your book on philosophy, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that. What what uh, is that about? Open-minded uh, philosophy on the fly. My, my first book, which is still um, a number one rated blog on Google, if you type in the word "open mindful," um, really profess just um, the desire for people to think open-mindedly. It doesn't necessarily say you know um, you know you should do this or you should do that. It just said you know uh, think open-mindedly about topics and decisions, um, and then make a choice. Um, on the flip side. I notice people get in a rut, they get stuck in their ways, whether it's work, friends, family, uh, you know, daily routines. The whole idea about open-mindedness was to be open-mindful to your daily life decisions and to be open to new ideas. Awesome. What, what do you think keeps people from being open-minded? I think routine and um, supposedly humans are, are creatures of habit. And um, and they get into a habit, or perhaps they they re they see what's going on in society and culture and movies, and they think, oh, I I have to get married, I have to have kids, I have to go live in the suburbs at some point. Um, and you really, mean I had a choice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's so many different family dynamics and methods to live and ways to live and and ways to make money, and um, you know you don't have to always be planted in one spot. Um, so just open-minded ways to view life in, in, in its entirety um, is something that I, I think all humans should do. And then they can make their own decisions, but at least listen to them. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Awesome. Another category? All right. Let's go with uh, uh, 
potpourri. All right. All right. What's your most meaningful takeaway from the Texas Book Festival, either this year or years past? Uh, just the welcoming, positive uh, aspect of, of the entire thing that, that Laura Bush created. I'm, I like the, the committee uh, rooms inside of the Capitol where you can listen to the authors, um, you know, viewpoints on things, uh, the engaging books such as uh, Thank You Bloomsday Literary a, a ton for having me on to visit and, and advocate for indie publishing. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a literary advocacy event that, that's fun for people of all ages and sizes. So you got from the, the kids to the AARP crowd to my 36-year-old self somewhere in the middle. So yeah. um, it really casts a, a wide net on, on, on people that like exercising their brain to read every now and then. Right. Uh, so George, where can we find you? Online, tell us one more time. Yeah, uh, just Google George Vance McGee and, and uh, my two books should uh, come up. Uh, Open Mindful, Philosophy on the Fly, and uh, Attractive Tales from Grand City, a social memoir. And then uh, I'm working on my third uh, hopeful future uh, book, uh, Liberating Rants. Liberating Rants. It's about uh, 30 pages into that one and, and um, trying to kind of tackle today's modern you know, political dysfunction a little bit from a from my what dysfunction? I, I think everything's, <laughs> everything's fine, fine, right? We're all yeah. safe, right? Yeah. This, is, this is almost There's nothing a, scary. This is almost on. a civil war era of political discourse in 2018. So um, I'm just writing writing kind of my opinions on it. That uh, when we look back and 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 someone, uh, it'll be a pseudo kind of uh, political history book, probably. Or when the aliens land, they can read your book to figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Thank you so much, George, for being on the show. All right. Spell Th your last name. Uh, M-C-G-E-E. -E. All right. McGee. All right. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Bloomsday. I appreciate it. are speaking now with Daniel Garcia Ordaz. So grateful to have you on the show. And uh, hang in there with my shitty recording producer hat. I, I My <laughs> producer has left and I'm like, you know, when the mice is away, the, when the mouse is away, the cats will play and I'm not playing very well without <laughs> my mouse. But anyway, well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, a little foul ball, but we're back on fair ground here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Great to be here with Bloomsday at the Texas Book Festival 2018. Yeah, great day, great day. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what you write. I'm a Gemini. I like oh, long, long walks on the beach. Yeah. And I, I am inspired by food often. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm here at the Texas Book Festival with my book, Sensuantle and Mockingbird, uh, Songs of Empowerment. And uh, I'll be presenting uh, at noon on Sunday at the Latinx tent uh, with Marcos, Michael Cedulus. And yeah. we're talking about, he's a gentleman who uh, produced Humans of San Antonio, a photo book. And then I love that cross-pollination. I feel like the, the book fest does a great job of sort of bringing people together in those ways. Yeah, and then just my book uh, is a mixed genre book itself, so it kind of fits in. And I'll be presenting also uh, a little bit later at the Texas Capitol tomorrow with a uh, spoken word uh, sort of panel. Love it. We have uh, Daniel Pena as a friend of the show, and he's at the Latinx Tent. Uh, he might be there right now, actually. Right, cool. Which I'll have to tell him I missed him because I was talking 
to another Daniel, but <laughs> he'll be fine. He'll be fine. With yeah, that. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Do you wanna uh, do you wanna read us a read us a, a poem or two? Uh, yeah, um, this is uh, the, since only Mockingbird is all about like inviting people to like speak in other people's voices as a form of empowerment, kind of walking in their shoes but using poetry. Yeah, persona um, persona poetry. Yeah. And uh, and this is just a fun one. It's called En La Pulga, uh, at the flea market. Okay. So here we go. A new pair of sneakers, the latest full features, the parking's free, ya vente. A 94 Nissan, pero sin transmission, your Theo Frank can fix it. St. <laughs> Patrick's Daylights, some Clinton Gorkites, a wristwatch television. En la pulga se haya, se compra, se vende, lo que pide la gente. Aquí tienen Legos, carritos y juegos. I want a Spiro, papa. <laughs> Aguacates, nopales, te llenan morales with fruits and vegetales. So it's a little bit of a, you know, fun song just uh, talking about the flea market. You just won Texas Book Festival. <laughs> That's what happened here. I don't know what all you other slackers are doing, yeah. but it's all happening right here. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's the rumor I heard, pretty much. <laughs> All right, so you want to play some Jeopardy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Let's see. Any of those categories uh, uh, catch your eye? Uh, let's go with um, two kinds of peoples. All right. Uh, for 200. There are two kinds of people. This is fill in the blank. There are two kinds of people. People who like this poet and people who like this guy. Ah. Okay. Who are what are people who like Robert Frost and people who like Langston Hughes? <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And answered in the form of a question. Very good. Awesome. Extra points. And then there's a third kind of people. Oh yeah. We like them all. Well, <laughs> there you, you go. Know? Yeah. Good work. Way to be inclusive at the Texas Book Festival. That's, right. That's what we are here. All right, another category. You're the only contestant, so you get to ask all the answers or ask all the questions. Answer yeah. good questions. I was all afraid my buzzer life. wasn't working here. <laughs> um, let's go with unnecessary pairings uh, for 600. All right, this book goes best with a vodka and a splash of OJ. All right. What is. Nabokov's Lolita. Oh, nice answer. Extra points, sir. I mean, it's Russian, right? We have to go with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> another category? Sure. Uh, let's go with books for what ails you. I guess it's a young adult category, perhaps, for 200. Oh, that would have been a good idea. You think too highly of us here at Bloomsday. You know, really. it's, it's what I do. Yeah, yeah. No, these are, these are books that uh, cure your ills. Oh, okay. But right. I like the pun on YA. That would have been good. Yeah, I have a I have a poem about that. Oh, do you? <laughs> you have to read it. Uh, this where did it go? This book replaces every Gideon Bible in hotel nightstands when you're in charge. What is the Book of Three by Lloyd Alexander? The beginning of a five uh, five book uh, chronicle. And it just kind of steers you in the right direction. There you go. Uh, eventual uh, Newbery uh, Award winning uh, novelist. But, you know, I read it as an adult, too. It, yeah. it still speaks to me. So yeah. We it's all need fantastic. that. For sure. I like the idea of that being in every nightstand. 
All right, anything else? No, let, let's go with pot pori pot or 200. Pori. Here it goes, here it goes. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I've been doing 200. You know, can we do 400? I'm, I'm feeling a little bit frisky. Oh, here. okay, all right, all right. A friend is late to your lunch date. This is the only acceptable excuse. I was reading blank. I, what is the menu uh, at the food truck? <laughs> you are a good friend. <laughs> I mean, you that's really the only friend. excuse. That's you know? the only one. That's <laughs> the only one. Any food trucks you recommend here at the festival? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm, I mean, my daughter goes to UT. We're very proud of her. And my daughter was at uh, St. Edwards. And uh, Ooh, so we kind of kind of know the town a little bit, but uh, we're all about the donuts. But, you know, yeah. so, <laughs> nice. you know, we, we like... Uh, we like uh, Taco Deli. We got we like Tortis Tacos. Um, I'm not real, real familiar with the food trucks, to be honest. I know there's a there's a mini donuts here. No, I will yeah. I will Gotta find it. Cheaper. It will be mine. <laughs> oh my gosh, Daniel! Thank you so much. Let us know where we can find your work. People are interested. They want to read more poetry. Everyone needs to read more poetry. Where can they find their way to your amazing work? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, the ancient Greeks had nine muses, and four of them were dedicated to poetry. So, you know, poetry was here at the beginning, and uh, we are, we're taking over the world again. Hell yeah. And so, yeah, you can find my poetry. Uh, my first book, You Know What I'm Saying, um, is available uh, uh, widely on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and so on. Pretty much uh, any American merchant, as well as, you know, all over the world. And then, Sensogle slash Mockingbird, I have a young adult version to, with a... Uh, Includes questions for discussion for teachers and so on. Oh, nice! And so they're they're all available, pretty much like I said, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble and so on. All right. Uh, and we can book Book People has our my books this weekend, and I'll be here to sign on Sunday. Yeah, you guys come out and see them. Uh, can we follow you on Twitter too? Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, Instagram, Twitter at Poet Mariachi. Love it. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Awesome, awesome. We're here with Daniel Pena again at the Texas Book Fest. He just came on hey, by David. looking for some water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I came for more than that. <laughs> oh, yeah. To say <laughs> hi just, to yeah. the great people at Bloomsday Literary. Exactly, man. And, and meet uh, D.F. Brown, yeah. our hey, distinguished Jeff. poet. Yeah. Here. yeah. And <laughs> so how's it been lately? It's been busy, man. It's been hot. It is. We're in the midst of a uh, a water crisis in Austin and because of turbidity, and there's. Uh, it's hot today. It's like it's like it's like the perfect storm. Uh, yes, we need water, and there's not water to be had. No, thank God you guys had it. God, I was like, no, literally, joke. I was walking around, just sort of like withering away on my way to see Lawrence Wright and Alfredo Corchado, and I was like, oh my God, I. I, I hope I find something I could buy, but uh, but you guys you guys saved me. This is a oasis Houston. of both <laughs> literary uh, genius work and water. Yeah, how have you guys uh, been, man? How's Texas we've been, Festival uh, We've you? been great. Uh, authors have come by, have been interviewed, have been. Who's uh, the most famous person that you had? The most famous? I, I don't know about. about Fame, Better not be me. I'm, I'm nobody. Yeah, you know. No, no. <laughs> you are. You are like, the man. Cool. Well, well. <laughs> you should get. If um, I can say, if I can say, D-man. The D-man. Yeah. Have you had? Have you seen like? Because I'm looking just like around, and I see like I could see like Tommy Orange coming by. 
I could see yeah. Rebecca Mackay coming by. Yes, yes. Could you, could you spot those people if you saw them? No. Because that's no. the thing with but authors. Like the, the, the author photo looks so much worse than the way, or so much better than the way they look in real life. <laughs> I, was at, I was at Antone's last night, and I was just looking around, and I was like, oh, my God. Not, not, <laughs> not that everyone was ugly, but I was just like, everyone looks so different than their author photos. I was just like, this is, I couldn't spot them in real life if I were to see them walking down the street. Well, because some author photos are at least 10 years old. And yeah. so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can imagine them like 10 years you know, in the future. Yeah. Did you go to any of, the, any of the parties? Not yet. Not yet. No. Are, are you headed there to this evening? I'm doing Lit Crawl tonight at the Creamery at 830. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be reading some poetry, some really bad poetry there. And then, uh, but I'm going to be there with Sani Atsidi, Tomis Q, uh, Tomas Q Morin. Jasmine Mendez is going to be there. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, so we might see you there at the Dude, Creamery. 8.30, I'll give you the details. Yeah, 8.30. But come on out, man. I'll introduce you to the folks, and it'll be cool. Awesome. Well, uh, last time that we met informally at uh, Boomtown Coffee, you were talking about uh, your uh, latest work, a uh, piece of nonfiction, right? Uh, yeah. you care to talk a little bit about that, or that's too soon? Or? No, it's... Um, I'm working on this piece of nonfiction that's about um, essentially a guy that was deported when he was one of the first 100,000 who was deported under Trump in his first uh, three months in office. And so it's, um, it's a really interesting story. It's about the sort of migrant community and um, or really the deportee community in, in, in Mexico City. And uh, it's a lot of, it has a lot of connective tissue to Houston, you know. So it's at once it's almost like a regional story, but it's also like a global kind of like, well, you know, the the you know there's a lot of there's a lot of it's a broken system you know mm, mm. Um, yeah and so it's sort of outlining sort of how migrants and and people coming here but also the people who we've deported are like the embodiment of a truth in a post-truth era yeah yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it oh it sounds wonderful and uh, it's embedded in a real person story, so it's not mm. abstracted. You know, it's not ideologically yeah. abstracted. No, the guy's name is Diego, um, and he has this um, he has this T-shirt company called Fuck La Migra, which is like like Fuck the Border Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the first company he started to feed himself when he was deported. Oh. And it's like it's gone gangbusters. Like he's allied with a bunch of uh, collectives who are buying his stuff, and he's doing really well. Oh, that's wonderful. And he's also a really interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get some of his product. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I have a tote bag. I got honked at uh, walking downtown Houston. You know, like oh, people, wow. are, people, it's a, but it, I, I, it's, it's, it's a great tote. I love it. Yeah, so uh, how can a book like that, or what can a book like that do in this time and this environment to help us understand the, the broken system that you said? That's a great question. It's one of those things I try not to think about too much, to be honest, because mm. I think when you're writing, there's a fine line between propaganda and art. Mm. And when you start writing with the intent that these are the themes that are going to go into the book, it's really easy to slide into propaganda and for it to just be really surface and shallow. But for me, I always follow the characters, and the characters are more interesting to me than anything I could come up with. You mm. know? Um, you've heard of like when, when stuff happens and you know, you're like, you, sh you can't make up this shit, you know? And it's yeah, like, yeah. that's what it feels like meeting these people all the time. Like, what are the chances I'm going to meet a guy who has a teacher company called Fuck La Migra, who is like, you know, 
is just sort of like in a, in, a, in a microcosm is like sort of this carries so much of the weight of like the contemporary moment of history. You know, it's like and so just following those rabbit holes, following the characters. I think characters king. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like their story uh, in themselves speak louder than perhaps any kind of propaganda that we can yeah, uh, create I mean, or put if, out there. If propaganda could solve anything, I mean, Twitter would be changing the world every day. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. right. But it's not, you know, and it, and it's not necessarily saying, I'm not saying like the, the like hyper-world Twitter, but I'm talking about even like Trump, you know, like as destructive as Trump wants to be, and, you know, Twitter is like it's sort of like it, one of his main tools. Um, it's really easy to just like, it, I mean, it's it's a larger argument whether he's or is not changing the world through Twitter. But I think, I think, I think it's it can be sliding away from propaganda and into art. That's the stuff that moves the needle, you know. Yes, yes, yeah. That's what gives meaning to people's lives, really. Yeah, yeah at the end of the day, right? I think so. Yeah, mm. that's, that's awesome. So the reason I live. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> if it were for art, I don't know if I would have anything else going for me. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, that's a lot to live for. That's a lot to it's live a lot, for. It's everything to live for, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, who uh, have you seen here? Uh, how has uh, this uh, book festival inspired you? Mm. It's inspired me in that. I mean, the Texas Book Festival is just like an incredible, like literary tradition. You know. Mm. Um, not that old, actually. Started under Laura Bush, who was mm -hmm. a librarian. You know, that was like her, her project, and it became it metastasized into this beautiful thing. You know, I say metastasized like it's a tumor, but <laughs> like it grew, it it yeah. bloomed into this in a, beautiful thing. In a good thing. way. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's awesome. It's not uncommon to see like you know, uh, like Lawrence Wright hanging out. I mentioned him twice now, or see uh, Alfredo Corchado or Stephanie Elizondo Grease, just like walking around, and I and I I love that about. I love that about the Texas Book Festival, but by extension, I love that about Austin. Is that like I remember eating at? I'm from Austin, so I remember eating at like Weddell's when I was little, and you know Matthew McConaughey sitting at one table, and then maybe uh, you know the Coen Brothers are sitting like you know five tables down, and it's like it was just Austin. It was like the it was just the mo of the city, yeah. and it feels like an extension of that. Yeah, the place for art and and caterpillars just walking right past us right here. Oh know? yeah, <laughs> it's like a little caterpillar man. Yeah, yeah. The, the I mean. This is what I will say. It is wild. It is like uh, there's stuff happening. I'm having a little bit of sensory overload. Oh yes, yes, me too. I me can't too. imagine being in this uh, booth all day. Uh, no, I. I uh, it, it is crazy. We were out uh, at lunch the other day, uh, fighting bees and. Oh my god! Uh, fighting and, bees. Yeah, fighting bees. We there. There were a lot of bees out. Uh, we were sitting outside. There are a lot of bees. We were drinking our beer and Topo Chico and. Uh, and then there were dogs, and there were people uh, taking selfies in front of dumpsters. Dude, you're, ma you're making the Texas Book Festival sound like a bad time. <laughs> no, no, it was just too, crazy. You know? It yeah. was crazy getting into Austin and experiencing all this stuff going on. Are you listening to Texas Book Festival? Get those bees out of here. No, <laughs> no bees. Get those no, bees we, and selfies people from the trash can out of here. <laughs> We need to preserve the bee population. Yeah, we do. Yes, yeah, yeah. but uh, it, it, no, it's it's been great. I uh, I appreciate all the people who've come by and and uh, yeah, you're getting a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. You got a foot traffic right now. And DF is is, is manning the uh, <laughs> is manning the booth. Okay, yeah, I, I know our our poet uh, because Kate Martin Williams, our uh, our president and CEO, she wandered off. <laughs> she wandered off. <laughs> no. Now she's left me and David to man the booth. So right on. 
Awesome, awesome. Dude, I appreciate well, you guys having me on, man. This is awesome. I'm off to go see, uh, I, this is my third time mentioning him here. I'm, I'm off to see Lawrence Wright. I think I'm mentioning him so much because I am on my way to see him right now. No, that's that's a great on the way kind of deal to stop here at uh, Bloomsday and get a, Get a water. And, and kick it with friends, man. Awesome. No, I'm so touched and blown away by the work you guys are doing, and I just, I hope you conquer the world. Oh, thank you so much. Love you, Dan. See ya. Love you, dudes. I'm with David Bowles here, a poet, author, uh, uh, author of a uh, poetry book for young people. Tell me a little bit about your work. Sure. So um, I'm a Mexican-American author and poet from the Rio Grande Valley. And um, my 14th book just came out like yesterday. It's called They Call Me Vuero. It's a, a collection of middle grade poetry. So it's like for kids between the ages of like 9 and 13 that centers on this 12-year-old uh, boy who's growing up on the border. He's Mexican-American, but he's also a Gen Z kid. So he's a gamer. He, you know, he loves social media. He's got his group of friends that he gets in trouble with or whatever. But he's deeply rooted in this Mexican-American culture mm. as well. And he's a 12-year-old kid in 2018 in America where the political and cultural situation is making a lot of Mexican-American kids feel kind of stressed out. Um, and so in trying to deal with bullies and the kind of oppression that his family feels, the issues that his friends who are undocumented or the children of undocumented parents feel, he turns to uh, poetry. He has a great English teacher who kind of reveals to him the power of poetry to, to grapple with the big questions about life. And so the book is kind of, it's all written in his voice and it's just like looking at this one year in this kid's life and his growth and the way he grapples with his problems through poetry. So it was a lot of fun putting oh, together. Wow. Um, boys that age are notoriously hard to get interested in poetry. They, you know, even if they like to read, they like to read adventure, or science mm -hmm. fiction, yeah. fantasy. Anything that will explode. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to put together, you know, a book of poetry that would be narrative poetry that would have, you know, lots of action and excitement in it, but that also would have like this message. So they would get kind of hooked by the character of Wedo. And, and kind of like like him a lot and see themselves reflected in him. Yeah. But then also, because he's he's also kind of an intellectual and a poet, um, maybe open themselves up to that those possibilities for themselves as well. Because a lot of boys are socialized to see themselves just as like active kids who play sports and, and, and don't think about literary pursuits at all. And I wanted to see that you can kind of have both those things. Yeah. That you can be a boy and also, you know, find a literary voice for yourself. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you know, it used to be that way for young people, you know, especially in the East and, and you know, Greek or in, you know, uh, in Asia, to grow up and, and to be both, you know, athletic and self-reflective. And yeah. it seemed like now you got to choose, you know, you're yeah, either the, crazy, right? the jock or you're, you're the nerd, yeah. you're reading. You know? it, it's like, it used, there was, like you say, there was a time when you did both. You know, like you're saying, like I think about, um, like in the East, just the notion of growing up and like learning poetry alongside philosophy and, and, and you know, and, and engineering and martial arts and stuff like that. Yeah. Like very common just a few hundred years ago, um, and maybe even you know today in some places. 
-hmm. but we, we've just moved away from that. Like, we think that people have got to be compartmentalized. And this is a kid, he also plays the accordion. I mean, he's just, you know, he gets in trouble. Oh, wow. He's just a kid, mm -hmm. but he's, he's all these other things as well. And I just want kids to see that they don't have to just be one thing. They can be a lot. Mm, you know? that's, that's so awesome. Yeah. And also, I mean, this is the idea that he's Mexican-American is, I think, important as well. That there's not a lot of poetry um, for kids, and certainly not a lot of it that's for Mexican-American kids or that features them or centers itself on them. And that was something I wanted to do. And, I mean, I've written for both adults and for young people. I've got um, another book that's out from Cinco Puntos from that same press, is Feathered Serpent, Dark Heart of Sky, which is like a, a nonfiction um, compilation of Aztec and Mayan myths, um, like freshly translated or retold, so that they make this kind of mythological history of Mexico from creation to conquest, which also I think fills in this gap because when we go to school in the United States, like in the state of Texas, for example, mm -hmm. you study Greek and Roman and Norse mythology. Maybe you dabble a little bit in African, you know, like Egyptian or whatever. You might study couple of myths from like from China and Japan or something like that but you hardly ever get anything from Mesoamerica and yeah. like we're here we are just a few hours from Mexico yeah, yeah. it's kind of crazy so that that was uh, something yeah. that I tried we're to in do. Tejas you right know? exactly we're in Tejas <laughs> <laughs> and we don't know uh, much about Incan and Aztec culture yeah you it's know? crazy right yeah. so those are the kinds of things that I like to explore I like to find those um, those gaps on the library shelf, in, you know, these imaginary mm. gaps in the, in the library shelf, places where there's not a book, and try to fill that gap in, try to do something. So I also have, like, a, a fantasy series for, for young people, a middle-grade fantasy series called Goddess of Twins, and it, it's won an award from the American Library Association. And again, that's kind of like, you have all these books, these adventure books for kids, like Percy Jackson or whatever, that are, you know, Anglo kids fighting Greek and Roman Norse gods, or like maybe European monsters, and I wanted to write about Mexican-American kids facing mm -hmm. off against Aztec and Mayan gods and monsters. So those are, I, I just feel that there's a need for that sort of thing. Um, and all the work that I do, well, it centers on, because I'm Mexican-American, it centers on mm -hmm. the Mexican-American experience um, and the roots of that in Mexico and the roots of Mexico in Mesoamerica and in in pre-Columbian indigenous Mesoamerica. So that's kind of like my wheelhouse, and I, I, I like to I like to play there. I like to write there. So most of the stuff that I do fits in that. Oh wow, that's wonderful. Well, this is a podcast uh, for writers, uh, by writers, for writers, uh, where we talk also about the craft of writing. Oh, cool. So, uh, can you uh, talk about a piece of writing advice that uh, that you really appreciate and would like to share with our writing audience? Well, I mean, yeah, I can think of like two things that that have kind of like in the forefront of my mind, one of them is like never expect for the first draft of what you've written to be perfect. Like understand that good writing almost always, there are obviously exceptions, but almost always is a result of revision and editing and like multiple revisions and edits. Um, and not just from you, not just your input into that revision editing, but the input of, you know, beta readers or your agent or an editor, like all these people can see things perhaps that you don't see and you shouldn't close yourself off. It's, it's, it's really easy to, to get kind of personal about your writing and to feel like it's your baby, you don't want anybody else to touch it, but you, you've got to like let that go and you've got to see it as a product, a beautiful product, an artistic product, but a product nonetheless. And products 
need quality control, and quality control can't come from the person who creates a product. It has to come from the outside. Yeah. Um, and this is why presses exist. Mm -hmm. Presses exist so that writers, instead of self-publishing, are putting their work in the hands of somebody who's going to take care of it and, and like guide them and give them suggestions on how to make things better. Um, at the end of the day, your name is still going to be the, the name on the, the cover of the book or the byline of a short story article, but you have to be willing to open yourself up to that sort of thing. And then the other piece of advice that I would give is be willing to write just about anything, mm. especially if you're starting out. Be willing to take a chance, to try something new, um, because opportunities will arise, and if you don't jump on those opportunities and write what is being requested, what people want to read, sometimes you just never get chances. You, you have to, you kind of have to create a space for yourself, and sometimes you do that by taking on writing assignments that you might not otherwise do. I do see a lot of people turning down opportunities because they're like, oh, but I don't write that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. or, uh, and, and they'll wait years and years and years and not get published as a result of not taking advantage of the opportunity. And I just feel that people will be better served by taking a dare and writing something beyond their comfort zone. Mm, um, that's great. Just putting yourself out there, right? Yeah, exactly. You want people to see your name. You want people to know that you exist as a writer and to admire their work and to maybe even hear, hey, you know what? I was in a bind. I needed somebody to write this article. I reached out to this guy and he was down for it. He did it. He turned the article around quickly. It was well written. It wasn't something that he normally does, but it, it was good. And the word will you know, get around that you're the kind of person that can depend upon that's mm -hmm. what you want. You, you want editors and publishers to see you as a potential um, part of their team. Yeah. They need to know they can depend on you. And, and the only way you can demonstrate that is by putting yourself out there. Yeah, yeah that's wonderful. So where can people find your work, uh, find your books? So I have a website. It's davidbowles.us. My last name is spelled B-O-W-L-E-S, so davidbowles.us. You can also find me on Twitter at, um, at David O. Bowles. It's also my Instagram and um, my Facebook. So if you, you just David O. Bowles, you can find me online. Um, and uh, obviously, I, I publish with several different uh, publishers, Cinco Puntos, Penguin, um, uh, Lee and Lowe, different ones. So if you search for me in Google search, you can find all, all kinds of stuff. But I do have poems and short stories and stuff uh, linked to on my website, things that have been published that are out there on the web. So if you're interested in reading more, you can check me out before you actually put down your hard-earned bucks for my books. I, I get sometimes you want a, a little taste, a little, you know, what am I getting into? And that's the cool thing about publishing online. Uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I'm sure uh, your work is worth the hard-earned bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And I definitely um, there's been a lot of quality control. So <laughs> it's gone through. It's gone um, past a lot of really really good um, eyes and um, I think we've turned out good products so check me out follow me shoot me an email I'm happy to to give people advice and so forth well thank you so much David for being on our F and Shakespeare podcast thank you I, I think it was F and great <laughs> awesome <laughs>
Lisa, um, can you just tell us a little bit about the, the very few things you do, how your life is so boring because you're not involved in anything? This woman is, does it all, apparently. Um, I mean, I write, I edit, and uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of Clash Books. And I have a podcast called um, Get Live With Lisa, where yes. I talk to writers. That's fantastic. Uh, are local or all over? Um, I live in New Hampshire. So the, the writers are local to New Hampshire? No. No. There's no, I don't think there's any writers there. <laughs> Not at all. She's the only one. I mean, I pretty much do it, like, when I have people on the podcast, it's usually, um, you know, we FaceTime or whatever, yeah. or I'll do it when I'm at a, a con or a festival. Okay, great. You have a wide variety of books at your table, Clash books. Can you tell us about your uh, point of view at Clash? Um, you know... We, me and uh, Christoph Paul, we run it together, and um, I think what brought us together, part of it, was that we could both appreciate like high and low art. Like We love great art and literature, but I will also binge watch Jersey Shore. Like, so Clash is kind of about opposites coming together. Right. And I don't like limiting genre. I, I like stuff that is genre crossover. Okay. Um, and is that the kind of stuff you write too as well? Yeah, I mean, I have a short story collection called Cartoons of the Suicide Forest, and it's kind of like surreal, dark surreal fairy tales, sort of. Oh, right on. Very cool. Do you care to play a little game of Author Jeopardy with us? Sure. It's not like I have a choice. So. <laughs> not much. Yes. No. I would love to. You're in the United States, there's no choices. <laughs> yeah, no choices. Uh, you do get to choose a category. Does that make okay. you feel any better? You like any of those categories over there? What am I looking? Oh, okay. Um, uh, let's do um, writing advice. Writing advice. All right. What is the most infuriating editorial marginalia, marginalia you've ever received on a manuscript? Either workshop or... That somebody gave me? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, okay. Well, this is a thing, like... And it was actually good advice, but it was annoying. <laughs> um, my editor for my short story collection, he, he kept saying, like, you keep saying washes over me, washing over me, like over, like over and over again. Like, this is how you describe people having extreme feelings. And this is, like, so redundant and emo and stuff. And you need to, you can never, you're not allowed to say this ever again. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I still do it. Okay. But... I, I, I try to watch the histrionic emo-ness of my writing. It can be very... I grew up with a lot of Victorian literature, so yes, that's... Yes. I mean, it's all about being histrionic, histrionic and emo. Yeah. All right. You, you like any of those other categories? Uh, two kinds of people. All right. This is sort of a, uh, a fill-in-the-blank. Uh, we have two kinds of writers, those who read their own Amazon reviews and those who fill in the blank. Those who don't. <laughs> and you are. <laughs> Which one are you? Um, I don't I, I don't really. I like when people do like blog posts, do like an, a big review. Yeah. And I'll look at that and read it. But no, I don't really care that much. <laughs> I care if people are buying the book. Right. 
I care right. if people follow me on social media. More I care so if they like my posts. Yeah. 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 Like, if people don't like my posts, then I'm going to be sad. Gotcha. <laughs> Those are the people from your tribe anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, another category? Books for what ails you. Yeah. All right. This is your favorite book to read in the bathtub on a Saturday night. Um, I recently was reading um, The Savage Detectives by Roberto Bolaño oh, in nice. the bath. That, that was a cool. nice bath book. That's a good bath book. Yeah. All right. One last category, Lisa. Um, uh, overlooked texts and personal faves. All right. Underlined. Is that overlooked? No, overlooked. Overlooked, yes. This is the uh, the bush, the, sorry, the text you wish they had taught you in high school. The text? Yeah, or the book. Oh, the book. Sorry, oh. yes. Um, wow. Um, I kind of wish uh, they assigned um, Joyce Carol Oates' book in high school. Okay. It's a good one. Tell me about that. Why, why, what, what do you regret about not reading it in high school? Um, I mean, I think specifically the connection, the connection, the, the collection, um, Tales of the Grotesque um, of hers. When I read that, it, it kind of was like a big awakening moment, kind of like I felt with, and I'd add Sylvia Plath to that list too, Sylvia Plath and some of those stories in that particular collection um, helped me find my voice as a writer. This kind of economy of language and like really visceral uh, visuals, um, grotesque and horror, and uh, the female, the strong female perspective. I think it gives people the heebie-jeebies to have to teach that in high school. and, and They maybe. should totally teach, like, Ariel. Like, you should have to read Ariel right. in high school. Right, yeah. I can't believe there's anybody that doesn't know who Sylvia Plath is. Like, there's people who walk by and they're like, I don't know who that is. Mm. Like, older people. Yeah, what are they doing? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> um, if people, if the listeners of our show want to find you and find your surrealist, uh, fairy tales and your podcast where can they go um, I, my name's Lisa Cantorell so lisacantorell.com I'm on Facebook Twitter and Instagram under that just my name and spell Lisa um, L-E-Z-A-C-A-N-T-O-R-A-L and my collection is on Amazon um, and Clash Books clashbooks.com you can see all our stuff and uh, yesclass.com, we always have cool like content up there. Right on. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for and having me. And being our Texas Book Fest neighbors. Yeah, I'm like yeah. sitting right over there. Yeah. That's going to be awkward the whole rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> we had this intimate moment, and now we have to... Now yeah, we have to be separated by a blue curtain again, <laughs> once again. A three-foot-tall blue curtain that divides... Yeah, we're doing pretty good. It was a little slow at first, but it's oh, picking it's up. wonderful. Yeah, you, good. Class good Books has a wonderful array of uh, great books that I've uh, been able to look at. So, y'all check out ClashBooks.com. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you on the backs of the harried, unpaid, and not quite starving artists that make up Bloomsday Literary, and also the good people at Houston Creative Space. 
photography, video, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. And buy Audible. Stop angry tweeting in traffic. I'm looking at you, Ford Fusion, going west on I-10. Listen to us, and then when you're done, listen to an audiobook from Audible. The title we recommend is Rachel Cusk's exceptional trilogy, beginning with book one, Outline. Effing Shakespeare listeners get a free title with a new membership. Go to audibletrial.com slash Shakespeare and read more widely today. Oh my God, misanthropy. It all fell apart. The wheels came off? Everything fell apart. Because I wasn't here? Can I take a quick kick? Smoke up my ass? Yes! Okay, cool. Yeah. Why did you make him wear the fuchsia bikini? <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> we didn't get that guy yelling motherfuckers in the background. Who? Some guy was just yelling motherfuckers. Oh, really? No, I've been recording, so I probably Oh, got it's that probably out. in there? Yeah. Awesome. I was, pro- I was on NPR promoting a book I wrote called uh, 100 Things to Do in Houston Before You Die. Oh, like it just came good. out about a few weeks ago, and uh, the funny thing is, what like it's so lighthearted. It's like, hey, fun things and cool restaurants, you know. But I was between like the super serious <laughs> political analyst talking about how America is becoming this fascist state, and then this poor lady talking about a rape experience. I'm like, I'm not sure this is the right room for that. I don't know who scheduled here. Right? Oh no! So and it was over in like five seconds. <laughs> I, think I might have been on. I was on KUH. Wah wah.